0: Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina.
1: So glad you could join us, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America with John Grace and Daniel Medina. Love spending time with you every Wednesday from 12 to 1. Uh, and we uh, have some information for you that we always like to look at what's going on what does it mean to you and how can you make sense out of all of these details because there's just a lot going on these days right I mean remember in the old days what we had to worry about it seemed like the only thing was uh, finding shelter in case the Russians were coming now it almost seems like you can't afford to blink because things have changed just since the last blink and guess what they have and guess what it's speeding up so we got to get ahead of this at least uh keep our pace with it, right? So we're gonna be looking at uh, three items today, one that caught our attention. In fact, we'll summarize for you. Daniel will be giving us an outline in terms of what's just happened in the last, uh, what, seven months or so, last year with oil prices. Uh, Because uh, one B of A strategist suggests that $100 oil prices are baked in the cake. (laughs) So we'll be looking at that and how to play that. Then we'll be identifying six strategies Because see, we see this a lot where people are absolutely not able to sleep because they're worried about the damn dollar. They're worried about outliving their resources. Of course, we're talking about their financial resources. And it's a real concern. So we're not advocating not sleeping. We are advocating doing good planning. Remember our Trademark happens to be the proof is in the planning. And that's one of those things that people just don't do. In fact, Daniel, and I was just talking um, earlier about a client where it's so easy to go my accounts down, but you we have to account for the fact that you're overspending. And in the past so many years, you've withdrawn over $100,000 over and above what you're taking as ordinary income. That's a pattern that's destined for disaster, or at least it's a pattern that is likely to occur where you outlive your money. And then what do you do? What, go get a gun and shoot yourself in the head? I mean, so we don't want that to happen to anyone. (laughs) And that's part of the reason we are here to help everyone better prepare for the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, and the unforeseen, but also to recognize the patterns that we are keeping, okay? Because if you just take out money and it gets dropped into your account, Somehow, we never look back to see what was the total that I have withdrawn. All we see is that I have some money left, but we don't look to see how much I've taken out and how long this might last under this current scenario, and that's without Uh, nasty inflation. That's without a genuine emergency. And that's without a severe market decline, all of which could be in the cards. So we've got to uh, identify some of these strategies that can help you avoid outliving your savings. And then we're gonna look at uh, something that really has uh, garnered our attention. And that's, uh, we're always looking for potential canaries in the coal mine, right? If you were a miner, uh, you kept a canary in the coal mine because the canary would would just chirp along all happy but if the canary died guess what the air is coming out of that tunnel and you better get out of that tunnel otherwise you're going to die just like that canary so we'll be looking at a couple of things that we think might be canaries in the coal mine in terms of the stock market in general and the uh the, the economy in, in particular uh where do we go from here again we're trying to make sure you are prepared for the good the bad and the ugly we know in california that Earthquakes happen, and if you're prepared for one, you'll probably survive to tell your story. If you're not prepared for one, well, you might be in the news as opposed to on the news. We want you on the news telling your own story about your survival. So let's look at uh, what we like to look at every week, and that's uh, how the markets are doing, and we want to see that uh when it comes to the Dow and the S&P and the NASDAQ, exactly what's going on so far this year. And by our metric, we're not just looking at what's happening today. We'll talk about that, but for our purposes, we think it's more valuable to get a longer perspective, if you will. To look at it at least on an annual basis, and then also look to see what's happening now that might uh, change things as far as where we go from here. So, year to today, the Dow is off 17 points, and yet it's up 10.86 from January 1. through today, and of course, the market is about 53, 53 minutes from closing. And and one of the things that we always say to you is uh, a lot of times people look at the market in the morning and and conclude that's what's going to happen by the close. And as Daniel can attest, we've seen some days, my friends, where you saw it look pretty good in the morning and it looked like hell by. 1230. So don't just look at the morning, look at the end of the day and see how that's doing compared to the day before. And that might give you a little bit of ride on the reading, if you will. So up 10.86, certainly great numbers for the year. No problem with that. And then the S&P actually done better. That's the largest 500 companies, right? It's actually in positive territory. And this is, this is one of those things that we always like to see, how one part of the market is in the red and another part of the market on the same day is in the green not by much up 1.90 right and uh, but for the year 13.18% but just to go back again if you see a positive day at this in one market as opposed to a negative day in another market on the same day this is the kind of thing that we look at from the standpoint is there separation occurring here we want more consistency we want all the indexes to be up Uh, as opposed to one to be up, one to be down. What that can portend when there's one up and one down, is, I say, is there's a lack of consistency, lack of follow-through, and that may portend some separation in terms of things turning south. And when they do that, oftentimes it happens very quickly. So, you know, we all enjoy the melt-up, but none of us like that meltdown, and that's what we're all about avoiding the decline so that you can recover without needing a Hail Mary pass. When it comes to the NASDAQ, uh, it's up 34 points so far today, and year-to-date it's up 10.88%. So NASDAQ's back in uh, near, if not right on, uh, the high, for all-time high. So we'll see how this unfolds, but uh, that's what we want to uh, keep our eye on. So, Daniel, uh, you saw this out of Yahoo, uh, bring us up to date, uh, I, I love this work of Brian uh, Sozi, and by the way, he was with Lehman Brothers, that's kind of interesting, uh, back in 2007, I think he was working there for four years, uh, thought everything was just fine, and, and, and of course, Lehman got crushed, who would have thought, I mean, how long has it been around, over 100 years? And now he writes articles about the stock market. So that was a rude awakening for him, my friends. And he was in the business, okay, at one of the largest and best known firms in history. So as I say, how fast things can change. And then we have that OS moment. And OS, of course, stands for, oh, shucks. Of course it does. So Daniel, what are you seeing here in terms of $100 oil prices? Are are we back to double digit inflation? Something that we've been, worried about, but the Fed keeps telling us that it's just transitory? What's going on here?
2: We're not there yet, but we're not too far off of it. It's one of of those things that we watch uh, pretty closely, and oil has been a pretty volatile one so far this year, all positive. So oil this year is up more than 50%. Started the year about 50 bucks per barrel. Today, we're Today, it's around $73 a barrel. That's a 50% increase, um, which is, when you think about it logically, it makes a lot of sense. There's been a lot of pent-up demand just for driving in the last 18 months that the world has been shut down. So people are now able to able to drive and go out again. So that's, that is one thing that's causing a good amount of demand. Um, what does just, that mean?
1: Sorry, so, sorry, but you're saying uh, oil. Can you be more definitive? Which... Uh, <laughs> crude crude well okay so is it uh, west texas intermediate or brent
2: brent okay Brent-coup.
1: okay all right
2: great uh, aside from that the country it will likely keep reducing supply um just to keep up with the Paris accord uh so that's something that's gonna that's gonna continue to go against oil prices uh increasing Demand, decrease in supply, supply translates to higher oil. And for gas, we started the year, uh, John, do you know where we started the year, gas, national average? I do not remember. $3.10. And today, today? $4.08. So percentage-wise? 30-some percent, thirty about a 33% increase. For the year, so far. For the year, yeah, in, in, in gas prices. Okay,
1: okay and if i'm not mistaken i mean you were talking about brent crude over the past year is that up 88% uh what what time frame uh, last year since fall of 2018 brent crude is oh up yeah now,
2: yeah i think you're right cuz we bottom year. it bottomed around what 12 bucks a barrel 18 bucks a barrel sometime okay. last year yeah, I think actually in April of last year, um, oil bottomed at about eighteen bucks a barrel. So now today we're at seventy. That's that's a massive increase. That's a massive increase. So what does that what does that mean for the overall economy? I mean, we'll we'll see. It's it's possible that it's it's just catching up with with the last eighteen months.
1: And uh, did you see that Goldman suggests that we could see hundred dollar barrel oil by the end of the year this year? Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, not out of the realm of possibilities. I think we peaked, uh, what, in, in 2008 or somewhere around there, like 150 a barrel. So that's uh, certainly not out of the realm of possibilities. Okay. But that's pretty drastic. So
1: that will certainly show up in gas prices. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. And they're pretty high right now. And So, so uh, I've heard. In, yeah. And this is now peak uh, demand summer. Or, yes. Uh, yeah, driving and people yes. are driving more. So mm. yeah,
2: so that that's that to my point. That's going to be more and more demand, along with lower supply. It's gonna likely we're gonna continue to see higher gas prices.
1: And then now, what are our oil producers saying about this? Are they uh, holding back? Do you know, or are they uh, producing like there's no tomorrow?
2: Well, they're producing what they can, but I believe they're being restricted. OK, so it's not there's, there's no good signs for oil right now. Well, and, That's you know, I'm that
1: saying. speaking of no good science, science, folks, uh, what we're seeing right now is everything is priced for perfection. OK, um, nothing is priced for the rubber to come off the road uh, or for the tire to be low in air. All right. Everything seems to be running full steam ahead as though this will continue. So that's what concerns us because that breeds to complacency when we're not being vigilant and we just assume all trees grow to the sky and everything's just going to do what it has been doing. There's nothing that can stop this. It's a whole new ball game, And then something upsets the apple cart and all the apples come out of the cart. And then they're not as desirable as they were when they were in that cart. So this is fascinating to watch uh, the supply and demand uh, and, and how OPEC is going to try to control the oil market uh, because the, the pressures are rising to limit carbon dioxide emissions, which also adds to costs. They're being passed on, of course, to you and I, the consumer. And uh, investors have become more vocal against uh, energy sector spending for, for financial reasons in many ways. So you've got policy pressure by the government in the US around the world to curb CapEx over coming quarters to meet Paris goals. And as we say, investors have become more vocal. So that's what they're trying to um, mitigate. Uh, and, and then we've got mass tra- transit will lag, boosting private car usage for a prolonged period of time. And the pandem- pre-pandemic studies show more remote work could result in more miles driven as work from home turns into work from car. <laughs> okay. Interesting
2: how that happens.
1: Yeah. Stay tuned, right? We will see film at 11, but it yeah. might be boring.
2: No, I think this makes a really strong case for electric cars, electric and more hybrid. I mean, that's, that's, where, the, that's where the world is going. I know from my own personal experience, I've been going on, Little over two years now with my electric car and i love it i haven't been to a gas station in a long time i've heard gas is expensive i don't i don't know from experience um so but it just it leads more and more towards the argument for electric vehicles
1: well and 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 speaking of uh in the environment the construction of the all the many of the parts whether it's for the car or for the roof uh that construction is not uh healthy for the environment
2: is that right no, it's not. Uh, you're talking about for EVs, for electric yes. vehicles. Yes. No, it's not. It's the the battery is very is it's not it's not. From what I understand, it can't be disposed of in um, a safe way, really. So it, we're kind of just stuck with those batteries for forever. Uh, I mean, the good th- the good thing is they have some very long lives. So I know Tesla has said that they expect their battery to last anywhere between a half a million to a million miles. So for most for most people, that's twenty plus years of driving. Hmm. So if you can stretch your 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 car life to twenty plus years, I, I'm I, I'm not sure if that balances out the the harm. It's certainly not in the long term, but that certainly is an offset in, in some respects.
1: Well, and, and in fact, talk about balance, if you can keep a car that long because you choose to financially, it's an advantage, right? Because uh, you've got to have all the modern conveniences and all the new technology. And God knows I'm a sucker for all of that. I, and, the, and the new car smell, I'm a sucker for that just by itself but it's uh, it's it's great for the producers. It's not so good for us, the consumers. and that's why they have us keep coming back for more and just keep paying a thousand dollars a month for a car payment that's not a house payment. And they will be happy with us, but it, it, we should we should really be looking in the mirror in terms of, is that really what I need? And as we say, one of the things we've seen investors do very well is keep, and Warren Buffett does this, postpone these purchases of these new cars and buy a used car, okay, because it's just a lot less uh, Uh, wear and tear on your budget, if you will. So maybe you can live with it a a bit longer. All right. We're going to uh, go to a quick break, folks, and we'll be right back with the six strategies that will help you feel better about uh, your savings so that you don't have to worry about your savings running out of money before you run out of time. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
0: America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Now back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: Welcome back, our friends, uh, Daniel Medina and John Grace here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us. And let me just make a shameless plug for my book, asking you to pick it up, Making Finance Make Sense, Striving to Win. It is available at eBay and at Amazon. And if you like my work, and by the way, it's all of 100 pages, so this is a a beach entrance. You don't need a PhD in economics. And by the way, we have one coming to us next week who will be our guest, and this gentleman is so qualified he could actually be Federal Reserve Chair. So jot down your questions, send them to us in advance, uh, call in, make sure we see them. But we will be talking to one of the best and the brightest guys who actually speaks English and answers questions, so join us. But yes, in the meantime, please feel free to pick up my book and make good comments at uh, ebay and amazon because you see once you write the book you think you're done and then you wake up the next day that was good for 2020 2021 john you have a new goal that is you have to get the book on the bestsellers list which means you need all the help you can get by asking people to make good comments at ebay and or amazon and somehow they compile their list in such a way that you can be on one of their bestseller lists and so i certainly would appreciate your help in making sure that happens so i can celebrate uh, a new goal for 2021 because gosh darn it 2021 is half over already man time flies and you're having fun so speaking of time and speaking of worry and things that we can do that can help us avoid outliving our, our savings. Uh, Daniel's found, thanks to uh, MarketWatch, six strategies that you can put to work. So grab a pencil and paper or tune in again once this show is recorded. What you can do, even if you're already retired, that can strengthen your retirement plan. Then, that, that of course, we're building a foundation here to weather every storm. Right, that house that survived after it was the 2014 hurricane uh, was built with uh, pylons, 20, 30, 40 feet deep. That's how they built the house, and every other house around there was demolished. <laughs> but that house withstood, and they planned it that way. They wanted to build this house to withstand 150 mile per hour winds. Who does that? Who takes that time? Who spends that money to add to the cost of building this beautiful home and then watch everything else get decimated and your house survives so that you can welcome your neighbors and say, well, you can spend some time here. Sorry, your house is gone, but mine's still here. We have to take the time. So, Daniel, you you found uh, six items. I, I love the first one. What can people do to strengthen their retirement plan and provide for a better foundation, even if we're already retired?
2: Well, the first thing, the first thing with all these, with all of these um, strategies, one of the most important things when you're in retirement is being proactive and being conscious uh, of of having of doing something to make sure you have enough money to last your whole retirement. Keep in mind, if we do this, if we plan this correctly, uh, you and you retire somewhere in your sixties, you might live for thirty years or forty years in retirement. That's, That's a, long a long time. time. <laughs> for some, that might be longer than you actually worked.
0: Exactly. So how do we
2: keep how do we keep your income going for that long? The first strategy is working part time, and I love this one because so many people don't hate the idea of actually retiring. That it it, it well, the, the question that they have is what am I going to do with all my time. Well, something you could do is work part-time and it could be anything. You could go to consult. A lot of people go to consulting uh, from what they were doing when they were working to consulting part-time and sometimes make more money. I know we've had clients who actually make more money uh, working part-time than they did when they were actually working, which is fascinating. What I like to tell people is fine, work with your passion. Get Get so good at something that people are willing to pay you to do it. And that's, that's a great way to make extra money. If you're, if you like working with your hands, if you like building things, get so good at building things or be a handyman that people will pay you to do it. You can do something you like and get paid for it. It's a great way to make some money, especially when you're retired. Cause you're going to, you're going to fill your days with what you like doing anyway, for the most part, if you can get paid for it, that goes a long way. Well, it keeps you from shopping, okay? <laughs> and uh,
1: and uh, some people are afraid of blissful nothingness in retirement, which I can understand. I don't want to look forward to that either. But that way you're preoccupied, you're doing something that you, that you love. And, and I loved uh, this example, that just by earning $10,000, $10,000 a year, working part-time, doing something, again, only $10,000 a year, that's the equivalent of making your nest egg Larger by about what, Daniel? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars,
2: assuming a four percent withdrawal. Quarter million dollars. Yeah, it goes a long way. Anything we can for for a lot of our clients, what we what we tend to do is we there's multiple sources of income coming in retirement. We have some pension. We might have we have Social Security, and then we have our retirement savings. Anything we're not taking out of retirement savings that we can supplement with, say, part time work, goes a long way in maintaining that balance and not running out of money.
1: That is so powerful. And just to uh, go over that one more time, folks, we're assuming a 4% withdrawal. So to get $10,000 from an amount, the question is what does that amount need to be if the withdrawal rate is 4%? And the answer is a quarter of a million dollars. Now, who can add that to their bottom line? Not anybody, mostly, all right? But the by providing an income of 10 grand, it it is the equivalent of suddenly coming into another $250,000, accepting a 4% withdrawal for that 10 grand. So by working for the 10, you offset needing to accumulate immediately, right? Uh, another quarter of a million dollars. I like that logic.
2: Yes, it goes, it goes a long way. And most of us can make an extra, extra 10,000 bucks a year or $800 a month. Every not bit a, helps. Yeah, not a tall order. So number two.
1: Months. Yeah, that's not much.
2: No, it's not. It number two. Yes. So this is something that always makes sense. And it doesn't matter what point your life in are in, whether you're in high school, you're working, whether you're retiring or doesn't matter. Spend less. The key to having money is not spending it. So if you can spend less, whether you're working or retired, it will help make that it will help make your, your lump sum or your, your nest egg last much longer. Take very detailed notes on what you're spending and see where you can cut uh, where you can cut spending. Don't be frivolous. If you're spending five bucks a day on, on, on Starbucks, is that something you really want to do? Can you really afford that over the course of a year? and then five years and 10 years and 20 years, it adds up to a decent amount of money. That's that uh, part-time money you got coming in.
1: Yeah, and and, and to your point, I mean, a lot of folks uh, inadvertently saved a lot of money because they couldn't spend any over the last six months to a year. So that was thanks to your pandemic budget, right? Which was imposed on you. So the suggestion is, is that you adopt that kind of an attitude, recognizing to Daniel's point that this is how much less we spent over this period of time, from time to time, let's just put our, activities back into that kind of modality so that we're spending less and, and enjoying it, knowing that you're not stuck there, right? It's one thing to not spend as much when you're on vacation, knowing that tomorrow you can spend more because you didn't spend it all yesterday. There's some left for tomorrow. And, and that just, that's satisfying. I like being on vacation and knowing that I can spend even, and I also like knowing I did not spend because it
2: tells me I, ha- I still, ha- I can play that card. Definitely. So number, right. number three, delay your social security. Social security is the only thing that we, that we know of that will grow at 8% per year guaranteed when you don't take it. How's that to the, work? To the extent, well, whenever you're not taking so when you push the social security, so your early social security date is, for most people is 62 and your normal social security is 66 or 67 and your late social security is 70. So to the extent that you don't need your social security, Before 70, we suggest you delay it. For most people, this makes a lot of sense. Now, the reason we want you to delay is because you get a bigger check later. And if you're going to live 30 years or 40 years in retirement, that's a long time to be drawing from Social Security. The bigger the check that we get, the more you're going to benefit from Social Security. Now, this is often not an argument we have with clients, but a discussion we have with clients. Uh, Do you take it early and, and take it for more time or do you wait and get a bigger check? That's a very hard question for us to answer.
1: We don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how long you're going to live. uh, We think the simple answer is, if you don't think longevity is on your side, start it as soon as you can. Don't look back. But if you think longevity is on your side and or you have other sources of income so that this Social Security isn't needed and you like playing the game of, geez, wow, if I'm going to live each year, I delay taking Social Security, I get an 8% increase. What else does that? nothing nothing that's not a bad thing now that option does uh go away at 70 so no reason to wait past 70 but that eight percent increase every year is a nice bonus if you will to know and it's right now it's guaranteed we think that will stand the test of time for those who are soon to retire so we're not worried about that but as i say this eight percent increase is something that only happens with social security we don't see it any place else
2: no so to the extent that we that you can wait we says we say wait take the bigger check because for the most part you're going to live longer than you expected so we want you to get uh, the hot the biggest check for the longest period of time you can now the simple answer is if you could tell me exactly when you're going to die i can tell you exactly what the best with the (laughs) best uh, route is right unfortunately you can't do that
1: no but now can you reverse the decision
2: uh, you can reverse it uh, one time when you first start taking it. I believe for twelve months. Yeah,
1: within the past twelve months, you can repay the benefits you received and reverse the decision. So you could right. you could send it back and set it to start later if you like. That is an option. Now, of course, when money shows up, people usually spend it. They don't have it, but it's it's one. It it is nice to know that the do redo do over
2: is a possibility. Right, but you do have to pay that money back that you received. Right. So you got to have that lump sum somewhere, right? That's the hard one for a lot of people. Yes. Uh, Number four, Uh, the the question is, how do you keep your income going for life? Well, you, you have an option of buying an insurance policy that will pay you an income for life in the form of an annuity. Very similar to how pensions or Social Security work, an annuity is a promise from an insurance company that they will pay you a particular amount of income over the course of your life. Now, this is often, um, the the payments often, for the most part, they they never increase. So once you buy it, the income is set so that we have a different challenge of keeping up with inflation. So this is not something we typically recommend for all of our clients' money, but it's something that we use to supplement income um, for part of their their money. So let's suppose, I know in one case, we had a client who wanted to make sure um, his property tax bill was paid for every year. And we had a good idea on what his tax bill would be. So we, we gave him the amount. And for him, I think it was $150,000. And we put that in, a, in, a, in an annuity that paid him an income stream for the rest of his life. And he knew his property tax bill was going to be paid from this pot of money. And it was never going to go away. This is a way we can kind of supplement our income for life. And we know it's Ooh. not going to go anywhere.
1: And so this isn't a blanket recommendation. We're just saying there's some things that are worthy of looking at to decide if it's a card you'd like to play. So Daniel, if let's say you have a husband and wife age 80, just to make it simple, uh, there's about $300,000 left in their savings and a 4% withdrawal, 4 times uh, 3 would be 12, so that's $12,000 a year. What if you stash that uh, $300,000 in a good fixed uh, income annuity? Again, they're not all the same. We like some of them. We don't like a lot of them. So what kind of income difference would there be in this scenario with an immediate
2: annuity? Well, an immediate annuity in that example might be like something like $24,000 a year in income. Twice as much. Twice as much, yeah. And typically, That's yeah, we're, I mean, it's a good point because typically we're going to get higher income rates from an annuity than we're typically going to be willing to do in, when we're managing the money. The, the, the reason is the insurance company has the benefit of working with many, many clients. And once they, once you pass away, in, in this case, it was for husband and wife. So once both parties pass away, the husband and wife, they keep whatever's left. So if they didn't spend it all, they keep it. If they happen to live a long time, then they might get into the insurance company pockets. But the insurance company knows what they're doing. They, they price this out in a certain way where they're going to do well. And they're the ones that, that kind of tell you how much income they're willing to give you. Often it's better than we're going to do outside of, the, outside of the insurance company or outside of an annuity.
1: Good point. And it's worth noting, folks, that the insurance companies, they have actuaries. That's why these insurance companies have been around for hundreds of years, because they they do the numbers. Hello. They do the numbers in such a way where more often than not, they're pretty much going to do better than 50 of the time, they're gonna do better than 50% of the time, okay? And part of it is that particularly with annuities, people put the money with the insurance company and almost forget about it, and then die without taking any withdrawals and die without making sure the heirs know where to show up with the death certificate to receive the funds that are due the survivors. This is so important please let your family know whoever it is that's next in line to get the money, where the money is and what they have to do. And it's as simple as showing up with a death certificate, making sure the beneficiary designations are in order. And by that, I mean, they are clear with a name. That's the clearest way to make it the, so the IRS knows who's next to pay the taxes. If you make it the trust, the IRS can't tell what that name is by individual. You're a non-entity, a trust, as opposed to a living person with a social security number makes all the difference in the world. But you have to tell folks where the money is so that they can go get it if they're on the list. Otherwise, they will miss it and nobody will call them to tell them this money is yours. Come and get it. Okay, so
2: what about number five? Keep some money in stocks. And this article says, suggests 30%. That's a very, I'm not sure how they came up with that number, but keep some amount of money in stocks. Now, the reason we want, we typically want our clients to keep some money in stocks is is stocks have been the best investment over a long period of time, Um, better than bonds, better than real estate, better than most anything. And it's, we need we need to get long-term growth from your accounts because we need to be able to give you an increase in income to keep up with inflation. The best way to do that is with a stock position. Now, typically when people retire, they tend to go risk adverse and keep bonds and cash. Um, if we had a portfolio of all bonds and all cash, and we were just living on the income, then it's going to be very hard for us to continue to get, to get you increases in income over the course of your life. So at some point, your buying power goes down, and now you're not living the standard of living that you did when you started retirement. That could be a very big issue.
1: And, and speaking of a very, very big issue, notice last week we were just talking about uh, some reports that are suggesting, particularly for boomers, that, I mean, again, we don't know where this 30% came from. There should be some exposure to stocks. Is it 30? Is it 40? But what the, some of the sources suggest or showing is that many of us have a much higher ratio exposure as far as stocks are concerned. We like all of these gains. But now let's suppose one of our sources is suggesting that we could see a replay of what a decade that you probably don't remember. It's called a flat decade. We could see a replay of what happened before where there are really no returns for stocks, just flat one two percent gain not the seven eight nine ten percent that you're accustomed to so that's why you can't just set it and forget it and feel like everything is just rosy Uh, remember they have they have roses have thorns so we got to prepare for those thorns and make sure that uh it's it's not on autopilot it's not on rebalancing some kind of a system maybe in arrears maybe once a year twice a year we want to make sure that uh we keep looking at this so that we can make the adjustments kind of like going up to the moon, a lot of adjustments to get from part part A to part B. So what's last Daniel on our six list?
2: The last one is to you have the option of tapping into home equity. A lot of times people have the goal of paying off their house Going into retirement, so they don't have a mortgage payment in retirement. That's that's a fine goal. There's nothing wrong with that goal. Um, the only challenge is now we have a lot of now you have a lot of money in a source that you don't that you can't really access. Uh, you can't eat those uh, the tiles on the wall. Uh, they, if you need the money from there, you have to either sell it or take an equity line of credit out or borrow against your your home. But that's that's an option to you. Um, you could, if you have equity in the house, that might be a way to keep your your spending power available.
1: Well, and so that might mean selling it. But again, this is all individual, all right. But to the extent a lot of people have a lot of equity. Sitting in that house that they cannot use. So, to the extent that you were to sell the big house and move to a smaller house, and maybe rent, maybe not buy so quickly. Now you've got cash that you may be able to redeploy, as opposed to cash that's sitting in that house. You know, it's a beautiful uh, roof but they're not potato chips. <laughs> they, you can't eat these, this roof. you can't eat this house. So a lot of money sitting in a position that is uh, really not usable at all. It may give you some security, but typically it's at a higher price than most people realize. All right, so we'll leave uh, this one here and we'll pick up with uh, looking at a couple of canaries in the coal mine that may portend some um, interesting things. Buckle up uh, around the corner. Please stay tuned. Daniel Medina, John Grace, we'll be right back.
2: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
0: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey.
1: The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business
0: Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: Welcome back, my friends. John Grace and Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. And by the way, we want to make sure you know that we are continuing to do something We're not aware of another financial planning firm in the country that is doing, and that is providing free financial planning services to all essential workers. One person, couple, married, doesn't matter. We want everyone to have a financial plan, and we'll invest our time to make sure that everyone can have one. The typical fee for putting a financial plan in place in the country, I believe is about $2,000. We'll meet with individuals or couples at no cost for about 90 minutes to help you see how much money are you going to need to make work optional, on your time frame. Two, in the event there's a loss of life to a breadwinner, how much do the survivor or survivors need to keep the cash flow going as though that person were in the equation? Uh, that person was in the equation as opposed to you had two, you know, two sets of hands, four hands. Now two are gone and the survivor has to try and keep all this stuff and all these people uh, in, in the air, and clearly the other person is gone to heaven. So how can we make sure there's a resource to make up for that difference financially so that the lifestyle can remain pretty much the same way that person left it, okay? You might miss the person, you, you don't, we don't want you to have to learn how to uh, miss their money. So we want to be prepared for that. And then the third piece of the puzzle, the way we put planning in place is to the extent there are children or grandchildren, for example, how, what, what do we need to do to see these children graduate from college so that we can all go to the ceremony at graduation and cry because one, they finished, and two, nobody, including the parents, have any debt, nor the parents, nor the students, nobody. We don't want those hanging chads because they just don't make it any fun whatsoever. So we want to look at some of the things that we we see as a canary in the gold mine, but just to kind of put things in perspective, uh, you might remember the movie, The Big Short, Uh, And the fund manager uh, who was uh, mirrored after that movie, uh, his name is Michael Burry. He's now warning of a mother of all crashes starting in crypto. This makes sense to us. It is the case in our experiences that typically what goes up the most falls the hardest and the fastest as the loss leader. We were talking about uh, oil prices, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin. I mean, had a good client call me and say, what about this? And I said, well, uh, I can't handle it. I mean, the FINRA and the SEC, where we are licensed, will not allow us to even make those kinds of investment vehicles available because there's just so many unknowns in the equation. And please remember Warren Buffett's favorite quote, risk is not knowing what you're doing. So now, uh, again, this is Michael Burry, the fund manager who gained Notoriety from the Big Short has warned the crypto investors to expect the mother of all crashes. Now, you, you might not remember that he is famous, Michael Burry, for betting against the U.S. subprime mortgage market and profiting from the 2007-2008 financial crisis. He issued his warning in a series of tweets that has since been depleted, according to Bloomberg, but I well remember that experience. Remember, that was the last time we were all getting high on hopium and the road to riches, and it's so darn easy. Yeah, that was uh, the story made famous in Michael Lewis's 2010 book, The Big Short, and then the 2015 Um, from a uh, film adaption of of the same name. So what he's saying is the hype speculation is drawing in retail uh, before the mother of all crashes. And the way Dent Research puts it is the smart money gets out as the dumb money moves in. And what he's suggesting is that we're gonna see a replay of uh, stocks falling from uh, tens f- fall from tens of billions of dollars in losses um he says history ain't changed and and he and he says the biggest problem is the crypt with crypto is in leverage and we agree that we see a lot of leverage a lot of places if you don't know how much leverage is in crypto you don't know anything about crypto no matter how much else you think you know and a lot of people don't know that so he as uh back in february he tweeted that he uh, He was concerned about the Chinese regulators, um, and clearly they are making some moves there. So he believes that there is a speculative bubble in Bitcoin, comparing it to the housing uh, crisis in 2007 and the internet crisis, we remember, in 1999. So stay tuned. We'll see how this plays out. But that's why we're saying the real question, folks, is how much loss can you accept? That's question number one. And number two is how might you be able to limit your losses? Most of the financial planners we know do not ask nor help you answer those two very important questions. Do you know how much loss is okay with you? Do you know if your portfolio will perform within your risk of loss parameters? For example, what was the market off about 20% first quarter 2020? Uh, And on the way to a 35% decline, if your account had held up, let's say the loss stopped at 2% or 10%, now you can look at the market going down like the Titanic, but it's not taking your money with it. That's the point. What kind of loss can you weather if you will and now can you see the evidence in real time that your portfolio is either going to follow the market as it has done in the past which means you're no better prepared for the next time than you were for the last time we want you better prepared for the next time and there are some ways to do that so what we're seeing is lumber and gold prices suggest that uh, there's going to be some movement following what uh, Michael Burry was talking about. See, uh, lumber prices have experienced one of their biggest and quickest plunges in history, with the spot futures contract dropping more than 40% in just 25 trading sessions as of last week. That's significant. Uh, Then when we look at human nature, we try to find meaning in this, since the alternative is to accept the price changes, But this moment, this momentous are nothing more than merely random fluctuations. None of us like to accept that our investment portfolios could be subject to such cruel twists of fate. And unfortunately, we think that's exactly what many portfolios are uh, poised to experience with this, uh, when these cruel twists of fate suddenly show up. So, you know, we're looking at uh, the the ratio uh, and we see a dramatic turn in both lumber and gold. And that's not good for stocks. That happens to be bearish for stocks to see such a dramatic uh, turndown so quickly. And in this author's opinion, looking at the ratio back to 1984 with the data from uh, Fact Check, calculates the ratio was higher or lower than it was 13 weeks previously. And that's exactly what we're seeing with uh, uh, both lumber and with gold so that may portend that we're going to see some significant losses and that's our, our concern we'll also see the possibility with platinum uh, you can give the stock market the benefit of the doubt but if you look at uh, commodities such as platinum we found that they have uh, a, had a, an interesting relationship with the market as well so um, this is what we're concerned about so Daniel who knows whether or not these things are going to happen and of course our, our attitude ladies and gentlemen is it's not about the prediction it's more about the preparation I mean what do, what do you think in terms of what we're reading here what we're finding other smart people say and how people might be better prepared
2: it's an it's a really inter- interesting conversation because this goes back to our crude oil conversation we had at the beginning of the show right there's all everything still looks good all the numbers still look good Price Good.
1: for perfection is what
2: for we're doing. Perfection, right but there's a lot of things that just could turn bad. There's these, like you said, canaries in the coal mine. That if, they, if any of them go the wrong way, we could have a, a major problem. Gold prices, oil prices, lumber prices, real estate prices, um, bond bond rates. There's, there's a lot of people are saying there's a there's a, a bubble in the bond market. So it, there's all these things that that could go wrong. Um, I think we're still cautiously optimistic, and until we get some kind of real sign that things are going to turn around, we're going to stay that way. But we need we need these are things that we need to watch. And for people that don't pay attention to these things, you should, and you should be working with a professional that. Can pay attention for these to these things for you because we want you to have some kind of exit strategy. If things get nasty tomorrow, are you going to stay? Are you going to hold? Are you going to stay where you are and hope it recovers? Do you have that luxury of time, or should you be taking money off off the table and out of risky positions? These are the kind of questions that we want you to ask your financial advisors.
1: And you and we want that advisor to have good answers for you. We don't want you to talk about, well, it's buy and hold, sit and take it, hold and hold, buy the dips. No, that's pablum. Your account was off 40% or more in 2008 when the market was off 37%. Are you ready to do that again? We don't want that to happen. That's why we're here. And and our research team suggests that what we saw was this pattern that could unfold right before our very eyes. Market was off uh, 20% 2018. 35% 2020. Notice the second decline was more severe than the first one. The research team is suggesting did research. This could be a pattern of the next loss being more severe than the first two. So again, 20 and 18, 35 and 2020. Be not surprised if the first leg down is a 47 to 50% loss from here, followed by another 40% or so. That would be an 80 percent loss Uh, sometime maybe within the next 12 months but again i'm i'd like to say it's never the bus we see when we're jaywalking across the street that can disrupt our day generally it's the bus we did not see we could not time we did not take a picture of and hopefully we get the license plate if we peel ourselves up off the pavement after (laughs) we've been hit by the bus hopefully 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 (laughs) somebody's got a camera get that license plate but if you can't take the picture, guess what? Now you're in the news, not on the news, telling your story. People are talking about what happened to you. So that's my whole point. Look at these things in terms of what's the worst case scenario? Can you live with that? How can you limit that potential experience? But if you don't ask the question, you don't see what the alternatives are. And that's what we're we're doing here with you to see help you see not only what might happen, we also want you to see how bad that might turn out. And then secondly, or thirdly, how could we keep, what do they say? If you find yourself in a ditch, stop digging. How can we stop the digging and put dirt underneath your feet so that you don't need this Hail Mary pass just to get back to in the game, assuming you're still alive and you've got the time to recover? Because we see some situations where people expect this market or wherever you put your money last to recover, and it just doesn't. In your time frame, or the time frame that you actually need this money to do what it is that you intended for it to do. So we're going to leave that there this week. And as I say, please tune in next week, same time, same bat station, twelve o'clock on Voice America. Here, uh, Fiscal Fitness. Uh, we've got a good friend of mine, a PhD economist, who actually speaks English. And we're going to ask him, "What do you see? What worries you?" And and talk about how maybe the Fed should be doing some things that we don't see. Or at least they're not talking about because they're very careful about their communications. But that also means we can't always discover, uh, exactly what they're doing. And that's what we want to really do. Don't, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. We'll be right back here to see you to again next, uh, Wednesday on Voice America. Thanks so much, folks. See you next week. <laughs>